Gather round, everyone. This lore has been passed down from kid generation to kid generation. And the lore keeper for this tale is our very own Gerald. Take it away, Gerald. Thanks, Sid. Long ago, it's been said that there were names that were commanded by people with great power. And a couple of these people are watching us even now. They watch all across the multiverse, looking in with their sharp eyes and speaking the names of all the people. And when they say your name, they steal your soul. Some say that they are elders that were born before time began. Others say that they're mad scientists looking into your lives at a distance, hoping to see you do something that they can publish in their tabloid magazines. Some say it's just guys with an internet connection and a microphone. But whatever it is, my man Fuzzy Slippers says there's only two things that we can know for sure. They're always watching, and they love eggs. So be sure to cook up a couple of fried ones if you want to avoid the Carton Cast. So how is the Shakespeare camp even going, anyway? Um, pretty good. Everyone seems really happy with their parts. Um, nobody asked, like, it's weird, because back in my day, everybody wanted, like, a big part. Nobody asked for the lead character. Really? Not a single person. <laughs> is it, like, a fresh crop? Do you recognize any of them? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got a bunch of old-timers, but, uh, you know, eight to ten new people. Last year's a high bar. It is, but I think it'll be really good, and I think we'll feel good for trying to, like, reach beyond our grasp. For for the listener, uh, Zane somehow tumbled into directing a Shakespeare camp in our hometown. <laughs> oh, are we, are hometown. we publishing this part of the conversation? <laughs> of course, that's why I led into it. I thought oh, it was great. funny. And I led into it because uh, I wanted to tell everyone that uh, Zane had last year set the high bar of producing a production... Bleh, of, of directing a production of uh, Twelfth Night. Yep. Um, the Darkest Twelfth in, Night. <laughs> darkest Twelfth Night. Set in a disco era. And everything Which, was disco-themed, and the main character sounded like Silky Johnson from a, from a Chappelle show. Which, if I recall, you watched the play and then commented to me, this is the most Zane thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it, <laughs> was, it was a <laughs> testament to my own ego. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It's like that... M- million cubit high uh pyramid of bender that he made in that one episode but a play it's the exact yeah. same thing so yeah i'm excited about this one yeah it was good um and i'm sure you'll do fine i'm sure you'll find something to do with it that uh that will make it enjoyable to you if no one else and it has given me great insight into the mind of teenagers who have, have misshapen heads <laughs> have misshapen heads correct yeah um so uh yeah um welcome back everyone this is a brand new year of the carton cast all the eggs are fresh uh we crated them up and we're gonna pick them off the shelves one by one i assume that near the end of the year our episodes will be pretty rotten that is there is there a chicken in this crate (laughs) just no of course not uh i I hear clucking it's a pigeon oh okay (laughs) yeah they're they're the they're the they're the d students of chickendom (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah so this is a new year of the carton cast so welcome happy back to us. birthday happy birthday carton cast uh 
our site went down for a little bit because I forgot to pay for it. Uh, but it's back up again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start off strong. We're gonna start off by returning to form, as it were. Um, the show that we're gonna be doing today is Hey Arnold, and it's very it's it's probably one of those you know it's on the top. 10 lists for all those terrible BuzzFeed websites of what was great about the 90s. Um, with good reason. But, it was yeah, this time show. they're right. They are right this time. Like, it's not that those BuzzFeed seeds... Uh, it's not those those BuzzFeed uh, lists aren't correct. It's that they're just circle jerky calories. They're just, like, there's no substance to them, and mm. they accomplish only to make you feel justified in, like, being in your own generation. They it, did... It's just, a useless it's it's just a useless facet of uh the internet they did give me rich fodder for my conspiracy theory corner today though <laughs> yeah okay well I'm, I'm i'm super glad that we're passing down in that neck of the woods again um <laughs> i maintain that it's weird that the, the the conspiracy corner is in the woods but who am i to judge <laughs> that's where bigfoot lives he hosts it okay good, we, good, we that ha- was good <laughs> that's a good response <laughs> we have a meeting every third wednesday in june <laughs> Every... Try and piece apart what was wrong with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish not to. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're gonna be doing Hey Arnold, and there's a lot to talk about here. Hey Arnold. Zane, tell us, tell us the production. Hey Arnold. Hi Zane. <laughs> hey Arnold, it's, man. It's Ben. <laughs> Quiet, Arnold. Okay. Um, I was in a. <laughs> I was doing like a short play sort of thing not not even like a one act like a five minute kind of scene once uh in high school mm. a couple people from the drama club were asked to like help some kids from the college like practice directing okay and i was me and another guy were doing uh an excerpt from like the emperor's new clothes <coughs> excuse me good on you thank you um and my character's name was zan z-a-n <laughs> why i don't that's the name of the character <laughs> And, decided that. And I really wanted to, like, like when we actually presented it, I wanted to, like, we were nervous because we didn't spend a ton of time learning our lines. Sure. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just kind of get us feeling more comfortable because his first line was, like, Zan, come over here. I really wanted to respond with, like, okay, first off, it's Zane. We've been over this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It would have been cute. Uh, so, Hey Arnold ran on Nickelodeon from 1996 to 2004 for 100 episodes. Yeah, this was very prolific for Nickelodeon, I think. Um, it really is slam dunk, and it's why it's on so many lists. It also seems like they produced a lot of it ahead of time before they aired any of it. <laughs> Did they have, like, two seasons in the bag or something like that? I'm not sure exactly how it worked. I know that they had, like, four different Arnolds. Mm-hmm. So, All the possible timelines and universes. <laughs> I think one of them was Superman, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and they also had a movie in 2002? Nope. They sure Moving didn't. On. Um, the idea was made by uh, Craig Bartlett, who originally made it as a claymation series on uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, and it was called Penny, who, who the character of whom sort of looked like Helga. Mm. Um. He tried to sell some yeah, producers. Yeah, before they realized that they, she had to be Russian because Russians are evil. Correct. <laughs> he tried to sell some producers uh, on the idea for the show, but they liked the minor character Arnold a lot better. Uh, and he made a couple of shorts in Claymation, which aired on Sesame Street, but when it became a TV show, he changed the style. 
Yeah, and, you know, rightfully so. Uh, whatever creative direction he had in it really bleeds through the entire sort of uh, the entire work as a whole. Um, I don't think it's too much to say. Like, I think it's it's self-stated that the uh, that the inspiration for most of the show and all the setting and characters came from Chris Bartlett's early life, which he was born in the 50s, right? Uh, so his early life was largely populated by people in the it was like peers in the 50s like the children of the 50s and 60s mm. half of whom had really straight laced back from war parents and half of whom were straight up hippie parents and that is really obvious in the show <laughs> you can you can delineate them pretty easily yeah yeah so uh uh, the, the the main thing that I think this show does that is different from other shows, um, in addition to kind of doing that 50s versus 60s thing, which I'll, I'll go into more, in more detail later, mm-hmm. is that a lot of shows like of this vintage and on this network, Nickelodeon, really focus on maturation of the self. Here, I felt that they didn't really do a lot of character development in that the characters were already pretty developed, mm. but the main... The mainly interesting part is how they relate to one another. Like, those relationships yes. are really the things that, that grow and become defined over time. Right. And, um, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned these two types of adults, neither one of which seems like something you want to grow up into. So if the theme <laughs> is growing up, this show kind of subverts it by making it not something that they want to do. And the kids generally are much more reasonable. They're more reasonable, but it's not as though they're more, like, wholesome. Like, mm-hmm. the best adults in the entire world, uh, the grandfather and grandmother of Arnold, are, like, completely off their rockers. There's so, a couple of conspiracy theories for that, too. I can't wait. Uh, I, think I, re- I think I read one of them and was very upset about it, because I, I rather like the plot line that they go through with this show, which is that Arnold is an orphan and mm-hmm. is raised by his grandpa and grandma in a boarding house. So his family life, his home life is very eccentric uh, when compared to that of his kids. Yeah, they uh, have a couple episodes about how it's weird that he doesn't have a nuclear family and how he kind of grows to accept that. His having to accept that early on really leads to his adaptability in these different situations, which when you contrast it with like Big Bob Pataki's sort of lay down the law, everyone has to be this way, Mm -hmm. you can really see how it fucks up Helga. (laughs) And how Arnold is kind of a dreamer and a free spirit, so uh, <laughs> that sort of bringing him th- that that way of bringing him up is much more constructive for his developments. Like, I- imagine if he was brought up by Big Bob, he'd probably be nuts by now. Yeah, which and... is such a '60s thing to like relate to. Like, that's such a '60s parent, like hippies with like stones of like healing stones in the bathroom, one that says strength, that sort of thing. <laughs> One of the things that this show does really well is it has a very realistic brush of how it paints, you know, children as the product of their parents. Yes. Um, and it's, and we'll cover this in the tone and genre, but a lot of this show is about making the best of a bad situation. Yeah, like that one episode, The List, I remember. Which one was that? That was the one where he like wants to do everything for the perfect Saturday, and it all comes, it it all it all goes tits up, and then his grandma's like, "No, nah, it's okay. Look at the sun; it's pretty," or something <laughs> like or something like that. Yeah, Geeky. yeah, and 
you know, a positive outlook versus a negative outlook. Obviously, the main two pivots of the show are Arnold and Helga. There's definitely a lot there that we can we can develop later on. But first, let's, uh, I guess let's, what does the plot exactly do? We're just kind of following, it's slice of life, mm-hmm. but it's slice of weird life. Like, it's not like a cobbler, it's like a quiche. So, this, the whole, they live in the inner city. Which is made from eggs. And... As we said, the adults are not exactly the best role models, and it's this kind of – it's a world that looks very much like ours, but you have a lot more insight into, you know, how troubled a lot of kids in the inner city are for a variety of reasons. You know, most yeah. most home lives of the characters in this show are not great. No, not not so good. Um and I so mean, the actually, show is about them overcoming that and finding strength in each other. So I don't think that's necessarily true. It, it varies from character to character. Like I said, with the whole relationships between people, uh, one of the great themes of this show, as I read about in a really long but really profound blog post, hmm. was the different ways uh, that people in the, uh, the different ways that all these different children kind of have to. Uh, come to understand the nature of love in whichever way they're lacking. Mm-hmm. So uh, for 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 Arnold, he he generally has all the love that he needs, but it's like not the most direct route. So he just kind of has to contextualize it in a way that makes sense to him. Helga obviously has no love from her parents. Um, Stinky Stinky Peterson doesn't have any real love from people in general from that one episode that focused on him, and he doesn't really have much of a love of himself. Mm -hmm. And so the stories really revolve around them kind of having to overcome these bridges to get to the love that they want. And I think the biggest message that this that this show sends is that to achieve whatever kind of love you're looking for, it's difficult, but it's worth it. And another message is that you have to kind of give it first. A lot of most of the good things that happen in this show tend to be the results of random acts of kindness rather than any sort of consistency or support system. Yeah, there there is still like a Nickelodeon sprinkle on, on it, but it's it goes both ways. Like mm-hmm. y- you you have to reach for it and you have to be reached by it. Right. So uh it, yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty pretty grown-up way to tre- of treating like this sort of uh this sort of idea that no, love doesn't really come naturally to people. Like you're always going to be kind of reaching for these relationships, for the for these concepts that you don't immediately immediately have, and it doesn't come naturally to anyone to get them. Like you really have to. I, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I I think I get what you're trying to say. the The relationships that are formed, the the part of the show that really does develop and grow over time. Every single you know reconciliation or friendship is is hard one you can see where the miscommunications come in or the prejudices or the biases you can yeah. you can see it and you can see it from all characters perspective which is really eye-opening because pretty much every single snap judgment that the characters make turns out to be wrong <laughs> yes and that's that might just be kind of like you know sitcom format like we need to make it like 20 minutes long yeah um but yes that they they are all remarkably textured. Um, the characters, all even if they're not like the focus of an episode, they 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 still uh, contribute to it by their own sort of standards and how they view the world. 
Yeah, and it's, it's very it's it's really cool. This is a really cool a, a, setting, very well integrated across its cast. A lot of characters get their own kind of spotlight episodes, but they're a few of them. Like yes. their characterization remains the same, even if they're kind of in the background. Like they'll act the same way from episode to episode, and it's got a really nice uh, consistency. Yeah, and, and keep, to loop keeps it, them from becoming one dimensional. Right, and to loop it back into the fact that Craig Bartlett made this show based on his childhood. That's his like his archetypes growing up. Like, Sid was that weird kid who was really anxious all the time and had beetle boots, I guess. <laughs> um, Helga was kind of the mean girl. Uh, you know, it's these archetypes that he grew up with. So, of course, they're very well developed in his mind. So that's, you know, exactly kind of what I want from a show, from a show's yeah. cast. Um, and I guess let's just break down the the cast member by member. So the main well, character. Um, oh, wait, wait, what were you going to say? No, I was going to lead into it. The the eponymous Hey Arnold. No, the the main character is Helga, as I understand it. <laughs> yes, that is one of the conspiracy <laughs> theories. Yep. So, yeah, obviously there's a lot of love for Helga. If you go on the internet, kind of everyone really loves this character for good reason. But let's start with actual Arnold. Right. So, as you said, Arnold you know, lives in a boarding house with his grandparents who raise him after his uh, parents die. Mm. And uh, Craig Bartlett said... Like when they were coming up with the character, he says, we came up with a reluctant hero who keeps finding himself responsible for solving something, making the right choices, doing the right thing. So Arnold is kind of like everyone's psychologist. He serves as sort of this moral fulcrum that every story, everyone else's story revolves around. He's like the point of stability in his crazy world. Um, So if, you know... Sid is having a morality crisis, Arnold will be there to kind of put him back on the right path, etc., etc. Um, he's definitely an idealist in a way that his parents in- or grandparents encourage and foster, so he's probably the easiest protagonist. I don't think he's very interesting, though. Well, his, you know, he's the... Su- He's kind of the main support character because, like I said, a lot of characters get spotlight episodes and Arnold's usually the one helping them, you know, see their future for what it could be. So like we said, the show is about making the best of a bad situation and very little actually changes in terms of the situation itself. Helga still has an abusive family. Several of the characters live in poverty. Uh, You know, the way that the school works the social dynamics is the same but their outlooks and the perspectives grow and arnold is the one prompting them to do that it, it's not just like the main character cast of characters at uh the school ps118 that he does too um a lot of right, the time he, helps he everyone. serves he's a lot of the time he serves as sort of this door to reality for the few uh the few souls of this of hillcrest that time forgot sort of it's yeah. a very humanizing show. It kind of reminded me of Life with Louie, just like looking at different people's lives and saying like, you know, you you might not like this person if you ran across them on the street, but look at their background and their humanity and, you know, there, there's, it's there's hard a, not to root for them. There's a difference there, though. Like with Life with Louie, Louie kind of was, uh, was like assimilating information from everyone in the town. Arnold sort of just... Uh, ex- exhumes uh these like i don't know idealism pheromones Uh and you know just he he wants everyone to get along so he'll run into like one-off characters and be like yeah the world's not as bad as you think it is like monkey man or pigeon man or what have you 
right. any, any of those men. Dino uh, Spumoni. There's this um, there's this idea in psychology that if you can't change something, like if you can change something, go ahead and do it. That's the best possible thing. Mm-hmm. But if you can't change something, the best thing for you to do is to accept it or even embrace it. Or at the very least, ignore it. And it, that's it's a metaphysics thing as well. The, those are the things that Arnold keeps trying to get people to do. Yeah, he's not so good at accepting things, though. Like his his home life is so vastly like adaptable that he never believes anything is sort of beyond his reach. It's just yeah. that high, his priorities are shifted toward those he thinks uh, are worth the effort. I guess because he doesn't really try to change Helga for the better, but like it's sort of not his business. Yeah, his he does sort of have this ability to help anyone and get along with anyone. He's nine years old. It makes him a very tired like trope. <laughs> he, I, I don't really he, care for. He the... talks. He talks like a forty-year-old psychologist. He's, he's real preco- precocious. Uh, I, I really don't like him much as a character, but I enjoy being. I I enjoy seeing him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he, likable. He makes the other characters more interesting. Yeah, he, he's he's like a sounding board for everyone and I, else. And I think the reason, one reason that he is seen as so competent is because of that idea that Helga's the main character, and this is how she sees him. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I guess Helga's really into hipsters, too, because this guy, can we, <laughs> can we like, list, please, like, all the different ways in which Arnold's the biggest hipster in the world? <laughs> okay, you, well, he doesn't really have control over the fact that his head's shaped like a football. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking you, about the tiny hat, which, like, is not a thing that anyone would wear. Reverse mohawk. He's got a reverse mohawk <laughs> split down the middle. Um, he has, like, this overshirt that might be a kilt and might not. He's got that pocket watch rather than, a, than an actual watch. He uh, he sends carrier pigeons to carry messages to his friends. Um, his clock is uh, a miniature version of himself saying hello to him in the morning. He's got this decked out room that apparently he built himself. He's got a what? He's got this decked out room that apparently he like built himself from scrap he found. He must have. Like, I'm not really sure what is going on with him, but yeah, he's a hipster like 20 years too early. It's crazy. <laughs> um, there, are, There's actually a lot of stuff on the internet of like visualizing cartoon characters as older people, like older teens or adults. And mm. Arnold is generally that that's what he looks like. Yeah, it's, you know, as kids, we sort of want to be him because his life is so eclectic and he's such a role model. But it does make him really hard to relate to. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. I think it's okay to have like this cartoon icon to look up to. The rest of the cast certainly doesn't have a problem looking up to Arnold because they all do. Um, yeah. And they don't make him too much of an ace. Like, he still gets mugged on occasion and, like, <laughs> dressed down by someone. And he still has questions for uh, Grandpa Phil. But he is, like, he is unbelievable uh, as far as the cast goes. Yeah, I think the... I'm not sure I think he's those who parts he's supposed his... to be in, in think... uh, What's-His-Face's life. I think those parts of his personality, you know, are more things that are hand-waved away when you're young and watching this. And the kids kind of focus on, like... His idealism and his can-do-anything attitude. Yeah, it's very easy to focus on the plot because it's very rarely just kind of Arnold's story. It's right. like Arnold's story with this Helga counterpoint or, you know, the plight of the Pigeon Man or what have you. And the plots are very interesting. I really enjoyed them. Um, 
you you have these like regular you know kid problems mm. but they're usually couched in something a bit more fantastical yeah it's like one of those uh it's one of one of those like realistic problem unrealistic setting sort of deals that i think we've dealt with in like Doug yeah one of those unrealistic not because there's you know spaceships flying around but because what am i thinking I mean, like, it's set in, you know, this city ghetto in the 50s or 60s, right? It's not um, like... I think a little more recent. I, there are cell phones. Yeah, barely. There's beepers, though, you know? <laughs> um, and, and it's It's got the affectation of something in the 60s. I I, yeah, I, I would sign on with that. But anyway, uh, I I'm, I'm kind of forget what we were talking about. We, we, we have a lot of notes about Arnold because he's... <laughs> Like, this is a cultural icon, almost. Yeah. Like, he's not quite a SpongeBob, but, you know, everyone knows Hey Arnold. I remember one of my friends, uh, James Daly, as a, as a kid, he got really sick one day, and uh, he basically had to stay in bed for, like, five hours, and whenever he moved, he, like, for, for like, a five-hour stretch, whenever he moved, he would, like, vomit. <laughs> so he just stayed in bed watching the TV, and because he couldn't move, he couldn't change the channel, and there was, like, a Hey Arnold marathon. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he, just, he just, like, speedballed Hey Arnold for 12 hours in a way that probably made his, like... It's probably responsible for why he had such a big nose as he did. Yeah. He, like, assimilated, like, Sid's <laughs> characteristics through the through the magic TV. Yeah, everybody's head is weird, by the way. <laughs> it, it's true. Um, except for a couple very interesting... Uh, very interesting kind of... Uh, deviations from that mm-hmm. but maybe maybe rather than talking about arnold who is sort of difficult to talk about because he's so weird in this setting compared to all the other kids but you want to just talk talk about the other kind of main characters yeah uh start with helga uh i was thinking we could also do the grandparents right <laughs> so grandpa phil is <laughs> I, I want to say something before we talk about them individually. <laughs> uh-huh. Both of these characters steal the spotlight every time that they show up. That is absolutely true. And, I and mean, it they're... was totally intentional by the directors because they cast Dan Castellaneta and Tress McNeil <laughs> as grandpa and grandma. Yeah, that's not even fair. Yeah, come on. Like, I've never heard of any of these other names except yeah. for Pigeon Man, who happened to be the sniper in Death to Smoochie. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> beyond that, I've never heard any of these other voice acting names. These are like this is these are huge stars. We've talked about them so much. Dan Castellaneta is the voice of Homer Goddamn Simpson. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and you know, I think it, well, Grandpa Phil gets a lot more screen time. Gra- uh, the grandma is a lot more just kind of wacky, random stuff. A little bit. Um, it's she... because he, he's he's got more of a bond with Arnold. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you're a younger version of me that he has flashbacks where he's kind of like Arnold in some ways. I love his flashbacks. And he's got its own late motif, which is just the best music ever. <laughs> this old timey piano. Yeah, and exactly. In, and it's in like, black and white. <laughs> so another a thing about the music, which I'll talk about later, is that it always follows which decade it is around. Like it's a stalker. Oh, it's great. It's super good. Um, <laughs> but whenever it follows Phil around, it's really old timey, like almost ragtime. It's it's like twenty it slapstick <laughs> with fart trombones. It's great. Yeah. Uh, other um, things about Grandpa Phil is he's even more unrealistic than Arnold. Yeah. He, he makes Arnold's problems look very small and 
dealable with by comparison. Yeah. Which, which I think is a really necessary point for us to empathize with him at all. Because otherwise, Arnold would be sort of this bastion of uniqueness. But this sort of brings yeah. him down to ground level. Like, he's, the, not, he's not that nuts. The perspective helps. Imagine um, having, like, an episode where Grandpa was having, like, an identity crisis. Might not work as well. <laughs> it's a little bit harder to, you know, empathize with someone that nuts and is also 170 years old. Yeah. He um, he refers to Arnold as short man. Which is which so I, cute. Which I like. And apparently that's his actual last that's name. Just his own actual last name. <laughs> it's like a rocket dad, a rocket boy sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, he also has a literal dickhead. Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, everyone's heads are weird, and everyone's his necks are really small. His is literally just a it's just a cock, though. Yeah, like his chin has balls, and the back of his head is just like this phallus pointing out. It's really nuts. I always thought it looked kind of like a turkey. It, it, he looks a little bit gobbledy, but uh, yeah, he's 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 got these old timey aphorisms and like sort every of little old bit about him, wisdom. We can talk about him and Pookie. Uh, the grandma, Gert, Gertie, yeah, uh, in, in kind of one breath, because they both serve the same role. They're like these unrealistic, completely over-the-top, zany personalities to keep Arnold a little bit more grounded than he otherwise would be. <laughs> um, and one of the things I really love about them is that they're in, like, peak physical condition despite being more than 80 years old. <laughs> yeah. And it's They're constantly like... going on adventures. But, like, contrast this with with Bob Pataki, whom is much younger, but way, way less, like, athletically uh, ath- athletically suited and way, way more uh, unhealthy. And it right. sort of is this contrast from, like, 50s ethics and, you know, ideals to 60s ethics and ideals, where the, uh, huh. the grandparents are sort of, like, more these free-loving, hippie sort of people. Uh, not like entirely, but you get that idea. I mean, Grandpa does like Taekwondo, and boy, I'm talking a lot at once. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. I never made that connection, so I was kind of uh, mulling it over in my head. The yeah, their lifestyle yeah, it... is much more like uh, what's the word? It's nurturing, right? They're yeah, nurturing it's, their it's, own bodies. It's nurturing, and they nurture Arnold. And it's I don't even know if it's you know 50s 60s i think it's like grandpa and grandma are from the old world where you know it's all about hard work taking care of yourself doing the right thing and they're not wealthy i mean they run a boarding house but it's clearly really hard like, work either like well maybe they did but like I, they, in, they've, in done, their they've done some montages <laughs> in their retirement though like yeah they're totally free spirits they do whatever the hell they feel like Whereas with uh, Big I feel Bob, so good about that, by the way. <laughs> I feel so good that they retired and now their life is just doing whatever they feel like. It's so cute. But um, Big Bob, you know, he's much... I would say he's almost more this 80s kind of guy. Uh, sort of this capitalistic, you know, he does the beeper thing. He's sort of the larger-than-life ego. And he has money, but he doesn't really take care of his family that well. No. And it's this... It's this sort of idea that you know a lot of these kids come from homes that are not the best and what this dichotomy is showing is that it's not really it 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 might be a symptom of living in the inner city but it's also an attitude thing it's absolutely uh, just an attitude and sort of a zeitgeist thing like 
In the 50s, you had a bunch of guys coming home from war. You think Big Bob is this 50s figure? Because I, I do. don't, I don't I, know I, about that. I do. It, like, I very easily see him having come home from war and sort of earned his roost. Like, he's sort of just lethargic and and bloated on his own ego and he he's become lazy in his in his box you you, you know that whole uh box is made out of ticky tacky you know that whole thing what let me let me let me break down <laughs> you some 50s knowledge when uh when the guys came home from the war in 1945 the whole, the entire country was kind of like we're so war weary we we've earned our place at home we've earned our rest a lot of people started marrying up, moving to the burbs, and it created this huge uh, demand for, you know, burb, sub- suburb kind of homes and family lifestyles. And what you would get, uh, as I don't remember which comedian kind of said this, but uh, there was this uh, there was this one uh, this one poem or song that was like, uh Little houses on the hillside, little houses made of ticky-tacky, little houses all the same, or something like that. It was made in the 60s to kind of, like, uh, reflect yeah. that although people were getting their safe lifestyles in the burbs, they were also kind of losing their individuality. Hmm. And that's what I think Bob is doing. Like, it very, very strongly smacks of, I've earned my rest, I'm going to have the family life I always wanted, but he got wrapped up in the 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 ideal of it and doesn't realize that his family is fail is is dysfunctional his marriage is failing everyone mm. kind of hates him <laughs> you know th- this that that's what it really smacks of to me interesting so i guess maybe it's not that they're from different time periods because you know grandpa phil actually did serve in the war different war uh, but yeah oh no yeah he did he um, he, he Gave the Nazis bad cham, as I remember. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't take that at face value. <laughs> um, but the it, it it's again, it's more about the response than the actual situation. They both had different responses to this sort of um, culture. Yeah, and that's why I put the grandparents in the '60s era because yes, they've earned their rest, but they're not letting it go to waste. Hmm. And it's really more of an attitude thing. Meanwhile. Uh, Bob is living in a house made of tiki pataki. Nice, and so I couldn't. I couldn't think of a better way to squeeze that in there. <laughs> Did you have to squeeze it in? Look, I took a whole course on uh, American history since 1945, and this was the like only interesting thing there was. How these Americans dealt with, you know, the 1950s lifestyle. Um, so, so hell yes. My knowledge of history begins and ends with World War One. That's kind of as far as I'm, I'm willing to learn. I got your back. Uh, it's mostly, that that's most of what I remember from it. And just seeing the way these two parents, uh, or these two parental figures react or in, inspire ethics in their children, whom are similarly romantics, mm. is really constructive in the one case and really destructive in Helga's case. Yeah, and... Let's talk about Helga. It's not just her dad who's negligent. Uh, You know, her mom's an alcoholic. They they call it smoothies. They call it smoothies, but it's really obvious. I got the smoothie monkey on my back. Um, Her sister's an overachiever, possibly because she's seen how bad her parents treat someone who isn't. She's legitimately in denial about her shitty family life. Yeah, 
and the only person who was ever nice to Helga was Arnold, which kind of created this fascination she has with him, which... It's a straight-up obsession. It's it's stalkerly. It, yeah, which is okay if it's a woman stalking a man, as we all are aware. Well, um, the, appa- <laughs> apparently, um, Craig Bartlett orig- like wanted to have an, like an adult woman hit on Arnold. Oh my god, that would have been a nightmare. And the producers are just like, no, what What the that, hell are you thinking? That's pedophilia, <laughs> sir. <laughs> sir. Sir, sir, get off that table. <laughs> I'm in the jungle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think they came to realize, like, it's okay if they're the same age and it's a woman stalking a man. <laughs> yeah, it's really not. Uh, but it's, it's more relatable. And uh, one of the big things that I'll get into later is that this is a hugely... Relatable how, Ben? She makes a statue out of gum. It's relatable because the children watching this are kind of, might be budding romantics, as I was once, and we can very strongly relate to somebody whom has this forlorn affection. Especially when she's not getting affection from anywhere else, all of her eggs are in this basket that are never going to be returned to her. Hmm. And I did throw... Something about I, eggs in there. So that I, was saw what, I saw what you threw. <laughs> I saw that you threw some eggs. Um, she's very interesting in that, like... So her fascination with Arnold is this love-hate relationship, and you could see it as the hate is covering up the love. I think it's more difficult than that. It's it's not quite that simple. I think she just does genuinely hate what Arnold is in some ways, just as she genuinely loves Arnold in some ways. How does she hate him? Well, first of all, he has everything she doesn't, everything she craves. She wants familial affection. Like I said, she wants to have love, but she cannot give love back to her surroundings. She's never learned how. She doesn't know how, and she sees that it comes so naturally to Arnold. She's jealous of it. I see. So it's this kind of resentment because, you know... That is kind of the one constant for Arnold is, you know, his his grandparents are kind of off their rockers, but they're always showing him this affection. Dude, there's this one scene where Arnold goes to bed early and he's clearly bummed out and we just get a conversation between the the grandparents and they suddenly sober up and are just like, I don't really know what to say to him. And Gertie like puts his hand, her hand on his shoulder and is like, go up to him, Phil. He needs you. I'm like, who, who are these characters? <laughs> They're channeling his dead parents. I guess, yeah. um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And and Helga does have occasional, you know, reconciliations with her family. Yeah, that, that, I wish that she didn't, honestly. <laughs> really? I kind of, no, it's a little bit of inconsistency, I think. There's, there's a very telling uh, episode where she goes to the psychologist. Oh, that is like the best episode according to the fandom and and it's it kind of draws attention to this larger problem which is like most of these characters need some serious psychological help but they don't get it until like <laughs> until their psychoses get out of hand and until everybody has to rein them back in throttling other children in public and yeah and the problem with it and like if you wanted to direct someone to a cartoon that's basically an ad for psychological you know society like oh, associations yeah. like this is this is a good this is gold, yeah. um, and so she, you know, comes to reconcile those feelings that she has about Arnold, about how he's kind to her. She, uh, he has stuff that she doesn't. She has these problems with her family that she can, you know, change her response to, if not the situation. And it's 
it's a weird episode because it, it yeah. really is dark. The thing is, during the later seasons, they the producers kind of caught on, well, Helga's kind of the more interesting character here, and it sort of started splitting 50-50, the amount of episodes focused on Helga and the m- amount of episodes focused on Arnold. Well, it's this idea of the underdog. You know, you want your main character to be kind of pushing up against institutions that are, you know, not working. And Arnold does that, but he's gotten so good at it by the end, it it feels it, very not, unrealistic. It, it's also just not that much of a struggle for him. Like, we already know <laughs> yeah. how adaptable he is. With uh, with Helga, we see her kind of uh, pushing against this uh, imbued sense of might makes right from her she's, father. She's fighting herself in addition to whatever other things are happening. She loves and hates Arnold much as she hates and loves herself. <laughs> She is a much better character. She will be playing some role before the end of this. <laughs> Man, uh, I didn't like reading that book. Too many poems. Which book? Lord of the Rings. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing a Gotlam speech, or uh, <laughs> the, the Gandalf line there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, and, and it also wraps up, like, this... this <sighs> Craig's work of art here and his sort of methodology for showing us the destructive nature of institution of the 50s and the constructive nature of the 60s and, you know, that whole freedom and expression and love makes the world go round thing. It's very much wrapped up in these two characters to the point of which they're kind of the only ones you want to talk about. Yeah. And Helga's just the more interesting one and the more relatable one, given that children can kind of relate to having problems in their lives and the whole... Uh, unreturned affection thing. That being said, I I also don't like her a lot. I really (laughs) do. I don't like the, you know, super romantic monologues that she has about Arnold. I find them annoying. I don't like her catchphrase, doy. I don't like the way she treats the people around her. Like, she's more interesting. I will will grant that she's a better character. I just don't like watching her. I do like watching her, but I I grant that I wouldn't want to be around her. (laughs) Yeah. Um... But I do think she genuinely hates and loves Arnold because yeah. because it's this idealism that she can't possibly grasp. It's just like this weird unknown, which is what makes her love him in the first place. And now I'm just audience, a fanfic. So yeah, I'm <laughs> the audience, done. if you if you want to see how this will they won't they situation goes, don't watch the the, inter- the, the internet is there to help you. <laughs> yeah, the internet's your best friend. Um, for I watching nine year olds make out. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you, Zane. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about Big Bob uh, by himself for just okay. one second. Um, he's the worst person in the world. He's not great, and he's usually there when we need a villain for Helga to rebel against. So, it. I think it, he he serves as like the 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 evil count that allows uh, Helga and Arnold to sort of enact this knight in shining armor tale mm-hmm. and it never really reaches fruition but he i like that he's completely like dismissive of any uh, notion of romance and i don't mean that in like the love 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 way i mean that in the sort of fantasy idealism take me of, away from this place yeah I, I just mean it in the kind of you know don't you have a dream sort of way he's all uh he's all efficacy and making money and garbage like that Mm-hmm. And he's too villainous to be believable, which I think single-handedly drops the show's voice by a couple pegs. <laughs> it's 
it's it's weird because he kind he does have these moments of niceness but they're very few and far between and they swing so far the other direction you just kind of forget about them yeah any characterization he has any texture he has is just too overshadowed by his constantly like whispering evil 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 (laughs) it's it's strange uh, he kind of epitomizes this um, thing about adults in this show, which I don't know if we want to go into the sort of tone of the show. Uh, I wanted to say just one more thing about the characters. All right. Which is that uh, this show has some of my favorite one-off moron characters. <laughs> there are a lot of great ones. And this is so good. Like, every time Arnold is kind of the focus, he's usually in contrast to somebody who doesn't have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And when they don't have their shit together, those are like my favorite moments, because they're like, like I said, they're sort of like the 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 lost children of PS one eighteen that time forgot. Like you have Pigeon Man who just like chills on a rooftop and like feeds pigeons all day and has this mythology about him. Yeah. Um. You have Monkey Man, like this universe is Batman. <laughs> uh. You have Dino Spumoni, who's basically Elvis, I guess. Right. This crooning jazz guy. I thought he was um, Frank Sinatra. Oh, you're right. No, Frank Sinatra. Dean Martin or something. Uh, possibly uh, possibly could uh, beat Bob Pataki in a villain fight, uh, the Jolly Ollie Man. Oh, my God. Who's <laughs> possibly the son of the devil. There's the <laughs> Sewer King who... I forgot lives... about the Sewer King! <laughs> he lives in the sewer and plays chess with rats. Yep. He, he tries to induct uh, Arnold and Gerald to be his royal rat groomers. There's Stoop Kid, and you know, these one-off characters are so well-developed, just like these sort of urban legends in Chris Bartlett's hometown would have been raised to mythical status, and in this really awesome, like, resonant way, way in the future, these figures have been given larger-than-life status. Like, you can go up to people and be Stoop Kid's afraid to leave a stoop, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. I I heard a band once play, uh, like it was at a bar or something. I heard a band play a song and they looped the Stoop Kids Afraid to Leave His Stoop thing and played a song over that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really bizarre. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's really awesome, bizarre moments in this. But uh, it does seem like every time they need an episode with Arnold, they just throw a weird guy at him and see what sticks. Yeah, and... The the thing I want to mention about that is a lot of those characters you mentioned aren't kids. He does spend a lot of time helping other kids, but he helps adults. Well, it's how precocious he is. Like he's he's an old soul. I think it tell it's telling about what this show is actually about, Ooh. which is oh, well. So there's a, there's Farm a few animals. different there's a few different ways to describe what Hey Arnold is about and and how it feels. Okay. One is that it's a city where everyone takes turns going insane. Uh, um, like a dog? An- another way is that none of the adults really grew up, so the kids are trying to make their own workable society through trial and error. Yeah, it's from a it's from a kid's uh, uh, it's from a kid's eye view, definitely, um, and, as evidenced by Bartlett's sort of manifesto in this in this show. Like even Gerald and Phoebe's parents are a little bit kind of unreasonable. Yeah. So definitely. And and that's what and that brings me to the the point that connects with the idea like Arnold's helping out all of these adults. All of the adults in the show, or most of them, are particularly unreasonable or faulty. 
A kid might do something stupid out of ignorance, but the adults generally do it out of malice or even like willful ignorance, like like the sewer king, which this I, I don't know if you can call that an adult though. Uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't really count, does it? Like the way adults are portrayed in this show is generally either mean or stupid or lying to themselves. I like this idea. This is probably I think my you're favorite. Just cons- thinking about Bob Pataki. No, no. Look at all of them. My my favorite conspiracy theory about this show is that uh, child services doesn't exist in this universe. <laughs> and I kind of want to extend that. Like all institutions in this universe that are run by adults are either corrupt, non-existent, or incompetent. Like like they go into a police station and the police laugh people out. <laughs> <laughs> She's not depressed. She just has the melancholy. <laughs> the cholera. <laughs> um, so Boys will be boys. This, this sort of savior mentality that Arnold has, I, I feel like it really makes this universe much bleaker than it could otherwise be. Oh, so like he's the, like the reaction to this uh, lawless West. Right. Well, you, you mentioned... Um, he's sort of the renegade sheriff. You mentioned the different decades and the different cleaning generations. Up, cleaning up the streets? Yeah, there's, I did. There's this thing called generation theory, which is that the the way that a, you know, a generation behaves, they're brought up on the ideals of the previous generation. And mm-hmm. each one tends to react against the last one, and they go in cycles. So what's happening here is the kids are responding against the values and mentality of the adults. So instead of these institutions not existing, they build up their own. You know, they they take care of things. If there's a lot filled with garbage, they become the street cleaners. You know, they they become this sort of institution. If the adults are mean, they will respond with acts of kindness and supporting each other. Like, they're... Do, they're acting as a huge foil to the adult population. Uh, and so, like, they're trying to make the world better because they see, like, the adults have caused a lot of trouble. I I, uh, I think that's sort of untrue. Um, like, I like the idea of it, and it certainly meshes with the, the entire, like, generational divide that this show goes about, on about. But there's just too much counter-evidence in the way, which is that, like, Helga really emulates her her abusive parents, uh, and Arnold really doesn't like uh, emu- like have any sort of abuse to him. They're sort of mimicking their parents rather than rebelling against it. And I well, they you, you might get away with that just because they're only nine and not really chafe. at the rebellious phase. Oh, they, I saw a lot of rebellion. They really don't chafe. Like, I mean, Helga is kind of an, her own case study. You can't really get there, but like. <laughs> Arnold is extremely accepting of all the weirdness that his grandparents... Like, he never bats an eye on, like, you know, it's just his grandparents. That's how they are. And he, he loves them and uh, appreciates them and kind of mimics their wild you know, wild optimism. So I think what you're hitting on is that the the generations copy the previous one's way of doing things. So they're, you know, Stinky Peterson is... <laughs> For some reason, he lives in a cabin in the middle of the city. That's so funny. Like, that <laughs> image is so amazing. <laughs> like, um, how much his, work did they have to go through? And, you know, his family is this sort of, you know, backwoods kind of redneck XP sort of people. 
and he's mm. very much like his dad's name Stinky, his uncle like his whole family's name Stinky. It's great. And they all they all talk the same way. They value like farming, they, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But his dad, like when when Stinky's like I'm going to, you know, try and do something good and find something I'm good at and his dad's like you'll never be good at anything. Like Sorry, the guy. adults are so self-minded and unhelpful for the most part i think the grandparents they're of different generations so this might actually work oh okay <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, <laughs> swish I, I honestly think that you're you're sort of Stinky, i'm fixing i'm, I'm putting the facts to the theory but i still like it it's not terrible i think i prefer to think of it not as like the different i, I think i'm i think you're demarcating the wrong generational divide because mm-hmm. a lot of the generation stuff is, like, Stinky really does still follow his parents in that he's, like, you know, a, a, a thing of farmers, right? And he gets the family pumpkin seeds and builds a great pumpkin or whatever. Like, Great episode, by the way. Yes, it's great. Um, they <laughs> a lot of these episodes are great. This is a really awesome. good show. It's very, like, I don't know if we, we, we haven't really said it. I really enjoyed watching this show. It's a very good show. It's varied. It's interesting. It's memorable. It's memorable, and there's not really a lot of time where nothing's happening. Like it's it's fast paced enough to keep up with my mindset, which is which is a nice uh, change change of pace. Um, and the dialogue is just funny as hell and really uh, really spot on for the people who's saying it. Yeah, but, and uh, also just the situations can lead to some very interesting special moments which i made a list of <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll let you read that in a minute but i wanted to kind of wrap up this yeah, finish, generational finish divide thing uh i more saw it as this is this show is sort of like a 60s philosophy manifesto written by an undruggied timothy leary like you have all of these different families some of whom are embracing freedom and you know, peace and love and shit like that, and some of whom are stifling their children by being this, uh, by by, by being these like fifties Levittown sort of uh, happy families, quote unquote. Hmm. And it seemed, and I'm only using Arnold and Helga as the as the straightest example because those are the two ends of the spectrum, right? But all other things being equal, the sixties, uh. Uh, ethos ideology is clearly superior. Um, Interesting. You, you might have you might have a point with like uh, they want to rebel against their against their generation, but it really doesn't come into play in this show. Like that's it, fair. I think you're focusing more on a psychology which doesn't yet exist in these characters. <laughs> right now, they're in the mirroring phase. They might start rebelling later. Yeah, um, I could see Arnold like, like joining a biker gang for like. Or, like, uh, becoming, like, a, a businessman or something like that? Well, there was supposed to be a sequel um, that focused more on Helga and her family. Uh, yeah, but the Patakis. It, it never, never got off the ground. That would have been that... so sad to watch, though. Yeah, well, that's why they didn't do it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I liked was, you know, like you said, some of them, you know, react, you know, emulate their parents. Some of them react against them. But the kids have very reasonable and actually fairly clinically accurate responses to the pressures they face. Oh, yeah? So, like, the insecure kids will be bullies or they'll act tough. They'll um, eat chocolate. A, a lot of the plots are about disproportionate revenge fantasies that go wrong. Yeah, mm. a cho- chocolate kid has an episode about addiction. Like, 
Yeah, everyone. That was pretty everyone nuts. in this show is responding to incentives, even if they're a little misguided about how it goes. I think it's uh, I think you can watch the other kids kind of swing back and forth on this uh, pendulum of proportional responses to their their various stimuli, <laughs> and you know, Arnold, the the hipster beatnik with a room inspired by like Steve Jobs' rumpus room, like he is as adaptable as all get out he never really his pendulum is stopped it's just like nailed in place he knows how <laughs> to respond to situations immediately and with just enough tact and subtlety yeah but for the other characters totally like harold will fly off the handle and like attack someone or steal ham uh you know phoebe like is so pressured to be perfect, another tie into the whole 50s perfect family thing. Phoebe's so yeah. pressured to be an overachiever by her parents uh, that she uh, plagiarizes a poem for a contest. You know what? Uh, you you mentioning some of these plot lines made me remember, like, the plots are done so well. Like, they follow this really nice arc if you if you say to somebody who's watched this show before, hey, remember the one where Harold steals a ham? <laughs> that that person could tell you pretty much a play by play of what that episode's about, like every scene. I it's there's and there's so many episodes like that where you, you can just kind of plot each one of them. Do you think that uh, it's because it's very memorable? Do you think it's because the uh, the plots are just so unique, or because the show was so popular? Or maybe a combination thereof. Yeah, definitely a combination. Because I can remember, like, some Simpsons episodes, but a lot of them sort of meld into each other, whereas, you know, there's always something crazy going on in a plot of Hey Arnold. Yeah, like that one where Stinky Peterson turned out to be a vampire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Or that one where Grandpa Phil punched a shark in the nose. <laughs> Or the one where the aquarium guard got eaten by a shark. Just listen to this stuff. You, you watched the one with Lockjaw, too? No, I didn't, actually. That That's the same one. Yeah, I know, but I I was just going through plot summaries and like, oh, man, that was ridiculous. Yeah, these plots are very memorable. You, you definitely have a point there. They're, they're <laughs> the last thing that I want to really mention about the, the tone of the show is it is one of the biggest differences between watching it as a kid and watching it going back to it now is how like <laughs> dark and creepy it is. It's really it's really kind of disgusting like ben, all the things this, that just got past. This show had a Vietnam flashback. Did it? Yeah. By who? Uh, I Mr. Wynn. Grandpa. No, Mr. Wynn. He was <gasps> oh, like shit, you're thinking right. back to his daughter who he hasn't seen in 20 years. Yeah, and it always kind of ends nicely, but it's you know, they go through some shit. Yeah, you end any of these plot lines two minutes you early, weren't it's there, like you man. switched into Billy and Mandy. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, Everything yeah. gets resolved, but only right at the end. It does, but, you know, it's it's not resolved through happenstance. It's resolved through patience and, and effort. Again, with the love thing. Like, it's worth it. But it, it. Doesn't, it doesn't pay off for a little bit. It, it, takes, it takes time and effort and personal sacrifice to actually get the love that you crave. So that's 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 a nice thing. Uh, it's, it's a little less relevant in the, you know, characters whom kind of are not redeemed by the end of the episode, specifically Helga's parents are pretty rough. Chocolate Boy is a nightmare just waiting to happen. (laughs) So there's definitely like, you have the normal, like the normal people and then like the others, the unredeemables. (laughs) And it's always very obvious which one is which. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, 
I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that one. The the unredeemables have no second guessing themselves. <laughs> yeah, and no relation to the uh, to the impossibles. Hmm. Um. Or the unmentionables. One more thing that I wanted to say uh, about the tone, and this is real quick, is just that uh, in the whole like we love and we love we love it's it's all peace and love. The '60s are the best thing, which I'm never gonna shut up about because it was so obvious while I was rewatching this. The creators just fucking love animals. There's yeah. Animal, there's animals everywhere in this. <laughs> when Arnold opens a door, like, an entire barnyard just scampers out. He has streets. a pet pig. He's got a pet pig named Abner. Um, Lockjaw the turtle was that one episode where they freed a turtle from the aquarium, which is in every way, shape, and form illegal. Uh, uh, Harold adopted a cat, I think. Yep. There's Pigeon Man, of course. Uh, Monkey Man. Monkey Man. Uh, Pooter. Remember Pooter? Pooter. Remember Pooter? Oh, Pooter. It's not a good name. No, it's great. It's great. It's such a grandpa's dog's name. <laughs> yes. Like, that's what it has to be. So, yeah, just, like, you know, in Rugrats, you get Spike, and then you're kind of done. That cat that, Hel- that, uh, that Helga, Angelica has, and that that's pretty much it. Yeah. But, yeah, there's, there's just tons of animals in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's say we jump into animation. All right. Uh, the the misshapen heads are the first thing that kind of strikes you. They're definitely, they're definitely right. The, the grotesity of the character models is an interesting choice. Well, so they have really thin necks, and their like bodies are fairly uniform, so it's really just the heads walking around on these stick figures. <laughs> oh, some lore harunas. Do you think um, it's one of those abstraction yields empathy more readily than reality thing? I think it's inviting us to look at their facial expressions, which can be fairly subtle. Uh, the heads are taking up the bulk of their characterization. I love it when Arnold is, like, listening to Helga, and then suddenly she'll insult him, and the eyes go from, like, a normal expression to, the like, the, the lids half-closed, like, okay, looks like I'm sitting through one of these again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that transition. That is his best facial expression. <laughs> yeah, the board slash guru. I love it. It's great. Um... What do you think the point is to have these grotesque character models? What are they trying to do? I remember what back when this was on, I remember like during a commercial break, they're like, here's how you draw, you know, this character, that character. And it's like, look at Eugene's head. Basically it's, just a soup can. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. And then, so I think maybe they just did it for convenience. It does make it very easy to tell them apart. Yeah, they're, they're very iconic characters as well. Um, Go ahead and name for me the most normal-looking family. Um, uh, like Helga. Yeah. Yeah, Helga's family looks pretty normal. Isn't that weird? Yeah. The weirdest-looking family is Arnold's. Are you are you seeing how deep this '50s versus '60s thing <laughs> runs? Yes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not uh, even and, into music and yet. And we'll it's see. the nuclear radiation that's causing the mutations. Yes, man. I get it. <laughs> Well, I, I just I think it's funny how the most normal looking family, the Patakis, are the by far the most dysfunctional family of the lot. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the '50s happy family thing is that everything has a in a in a sort of, um, oh fuck, what was that one <laughs> movie that I loved for the longest time? Iron American Giant. Beauty. Okay. In an American Beauty sort of way, it looks normal on the surface, and it's totally bad underneath behind the door. Meanwhile, you, Arnold's. 
does not look normal at the surface, but it's the most constructive, functional family you can imagine. How do you feel about American Beauty now? What do you mean? Do you still like it? Oh, I still love it. I, I just huh. fell out of love. I, 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 I still <laughs> love it, but I'm not in love with it. I gotcha. Yeah. But it's the same thing, like the red door, you know? Helga's family absolutely has a red door on the on the house. I don't remember too much of the movie except Kevin Spacey being a boss. <laughs> no, no, no. He accused his boss of molesting him. You got it backwards. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. That was like the main point. Never mind. <laughs> Did you even watch it? <laughs> Did you even read the article? Um. um so did, did you notice that the um I, I never really understood this why are the fifth graders like twice as big as the fourth graders i think it's one of those rocket power sort of as the characters perceive the world around them remember that this is sort of like a uh a reminiscence of chris bartlett's childhood mm-hmm. this is kind of the era that he's trying to evoke and back then they probably did look that big to him yeah but the sixth graders are normal size that's okay and the third graders look like kindergartners. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just want I, a little consistency it, it, around yeah, here. You're not going to get it in this show. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it didn't, it didn't really give. I didn't really give it that much thought. Um, I do think that it's a pretty solid thing for the fifth graders to be that big and the third graders to be that small. I don't know about the sixth graders. I think the sixth um, graders only really show up when they're like the objects of Arnold's desire. Uh, I see. So maybe he's just like trying to bring them down to earth a little bit, make them the same um, size. Who's whose head shape did you like the most? Uh, I think Gerald's. Gerald's is pretty sweet. It's like a circle, and then it starts as a rectangle, and then the hair comes out of it. <laughs> yeah, and the hair goes up in a style like Marge Simpson or a kid in play. It makes you wonder <laughs> if like really you funny. shaved off the hair, his head would be shaped like that, like a big mushroom. I I am I am certain that it's shaped like that. <laughs> Like, um, I don't know what door Gerald's head unlocks, but there's some garbage, there's some weird shit behind it, <laughs> like, done and done. We didn't really mention Gerald. He he plays this sort of uh, realistic foil to Arnold's idealism. He does. He does. He he's, he's, like, street smart, where Arnold is more, like, book smart. In a bit. Yeah. Just, like, not, not perfectly, but, and, you know, it's... It's one of those facets of love that Helga kind of wants but doesn't really have. It's just the best friend who's always got your back. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can see that the, the relationship between Helga and Phoebe is much more abusive. Oh, yes. Isn't it? I think Phoebe is very interesting as well for how she takes the abuse so readily. Yeah, she's very happy just to be involved. I, I think she actually like thinks she deserves the abuse. Like, her parents have instilled this sort of, like, worthlessness feeling in her by trying to make her be the best all the time. I didn't see too much of Phoebe, but yeah, that sounds right. It, like, I'm, I didn't really either, and I'm just kind of putting it together now, but you can go that far into every one of these characters, and it totally stacks up. I, I mean, you have I, to work I, I like for that it. they give every character their, you know, episode or two in the limelight. It, yeah. it, it adds a lot to them, I totally. think. Totally. Although, I'm not sure that Sid got any. Oh, Sid was, uh, there was the time, I think he shared one with Monkey Man, where he got mugged. Yeah, for his beetle boots. And, yeah, oh, Sid's, Sid's not that interesting. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I really liked when he showed up, though. He's my favorite, like, extra. I like Stinky. I know you do. <laughs> He's gonna have mutton chops when he grows up. <laughs> I hope so. 
definitely. Or actually, probably like in like a like a Captain Ahab beard. Ooh, I, I want to see him with an eye patch and like one of sailor hat. Mm-hmm. And like a a parrot is perched on his nose. That's a good look. It's a weird look. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm not sure how good it is. It's a good look for a man. Uh, speaking of good looks for a man, let's talk about the music. Nailed okay. it. <laughs> so you said that um, it follows the time period? Yes. Um, and it does so in the best thing that a show can do to endear itself to me. Late motifs. Yes. <sighs> it's so good. Not just late motifs, jazz late motifs. With far trombones. It's so good. So the grandpa old timey one is sort of slapstick, maybe putting on the Ritz and then fart trombones in a way that makes it feel like you're watching like an episode of like Three Stooges or something like that. Yeah, like y- you you would understand perfectly if the characters in those scenes didn't talk because yeah, exactly. they hadn't invented it's in sound yet. black and white, and it's like got that like vertical hold thing <laughs> where it like streams up by one of those. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like the wavy VHS lines or something. <laughs> Um, and it's got like that really nice oboe to it. I'll probably cut it in again just because it's so good. But think about any music where Arnold is involved. Uh, it's usually jazzy. Yeah, and like, there's, it, there's not like, just think about different... the intro and the ending themes, both jazz. And it's not just different songs of jazz. Like there's different genres of jazz. There's yeah. like old timey. There's some swing. There's some bop. There's funk. They've got all kinds. All right, now think about what's going on when Helga's on screen. What do we hear? Sorry, I can't really picture it right now. (laughs) Well, uh, how about when she's kind of like having one of her private moments behind a dumpster, pulling out her locket? Oh yeah, yeah. It's got that like flute, that sort of ballet classical sort of sort of thing. It's not jazz. It's not a jazz flute. It's a classical flute. It's a philharmonic flute. You know? Yeah, and they do this sort of um, this sort of slide hit sound whenever like it transfers from that sound back to reality like when she notices like she's being watched yeah it, it, it breaks the illusion of it being set in like whenever classical music was a thing also yeah, when she's it's, kinda it's the musical the, version of a spit take yeah exactly or a record script skipping which i guess would have been an interesting that would have been a cool one a record uh, skipping is the musical version of a record yeah, skipping yeah I'm, I'm now realizing that as they say it out loud <laughs> <laughs> a spit take is the visual version didn't do great of... there um and but also she has like the death march, like when she's like oh yeah, something through, and it's like a it's you know like I said it's like a, a drums, it's like a four by four I don't Military. know but I've been told sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Again, evoking the fifties, like just got back from war stuff. Yep. So you know she's very clearly regimented and like classical forms of music. Arnold's is very jazzy and <laughs> Steely Phil. Like who the hell knows. <laughs> Um, the background jazz, the just sort of the consistent sound that's in the background for most of the episodes, it it really evokes the urban setting, and it reminds me a lot of Rhapsody in Blue. Like a ton. I I don't recall Rhapsody in Blue. Oh, it's it's that uh, they did it in the um, sequel to the Fantasia movie. Uh, it's it's basically the anthem for big cities. Specifically, New York. Can you hum a little bit of it? Because I don't remember. Uh, Go listen to it. It'll take ten minutes, and your day will be great. (laughs) I'll put it back in there, but Um, I tell you, but it it captures 
it, the music captures the mood of the scenes, and the sound effects um, that reference specific motions are really spot on. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty punch, punchy, all pretty punctuated sound effects. They don't overdo it. No, but they're they're very slapsticky, like splats and fart trombones, and like uh, ringing like a like a bell for "Let's get ready to rumble" whenever someone gets hit in the head. Yeah, like, yeah. Or like the spitting in a spittoon and hearing the echo. It's it's that sound. <laughs> I think the, the 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 music really conveys a large emotional range. Yeah. Um and my favorite one of it which like in the same way that I get chills down my spine whenever I listen to P- Bill Pullman's speech in uh, Independence Day. Uh-huh. <laughs> this music it just kills me every single time. The bittersweet piano Ugh. when uh when Arnold is like reminiscing about his parents. Yeah. You you remember like at the end of that episode? It's so bittersweet in in this just super satisfying way. It's like the I Will Always Be There For You song at the end of that uh, Fry's Dog episode in Futurama. Yeah. Like, you don't really feel good about it, but it's, like, so spot on. and It's cathartic. It's it's cathartic. It evokes the emotion more accurately than any amount of words can. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, moments like that are why I want to focus so much on music in shows. (laughs) They just... They're the sauce. They... uh, It's... I love that somber piano theme, man. If you just want to feel sad and happy at the same time, you listen to that. (laughs) <laughs> so, so good um, there's also a couple other things like fart trombones for really low stakes th- scenes oh yeah uh, and then there's also like a rising violin for tension yeah you know like I mean, Flight that's, of the that's pretty standard yeah, yeah Flight of the standard. Bumblebee sort of thing yeah but it's you know uh, it, it leads back into the slapstick once the tension's resolved mm-hmm. and I guess it might happen in other shows, but I, I don't remember it this acutely. I don't know. Seems seem very appropriate. Like, I don't have any problems with the show so far. Um, would you like some? Sure. <laughs> Do you have any conspiracy corner nonsense to gunk up my memories, Zane? Yeah. Well, the, the <laughs> one that I think... The one that I think most people are familiar with uh, is uh, Pigeon Man. Which is, you know, in the Pigeon Man episode, you've got this recluse who lives with pigeons, and Arnold goes to visit him, and he's like, oh, I guess not all humans are bad, and then he goes to fly away. He was actually a wizard, wasn't he? He actually committed suicide. I I know, yeah, that was the original uh, pitch. And Arnold kind of fabricated this flying away thing to deal with it. interesting. So that could still be canonical. Yeah. That's really cool. Like, uh, especially if it's through Helga's perspective of what's going on. Like, sure, she doesn't want her knight in shining armor to ever fail, or or to you know feel responsible sure. for anything, sure. or or even to feel bad. The idea is that he's incorruptible in her eyes, right? Which is why she loves and hates him. Um, um yeah, that's cup. that's a really good one. I remember seeing that like people were like, "Dude, it's still Nickelodeon." Like. Throw a heroin addict in there and call it chocolate, fine, but don't have him commit suicide. So that never got off the ground floor. Um, there's a couple other minor conspiracy theories. Sure. Um, one, I don't even know if it counts, but the one that Mr. Simmons is gay. It, it totally counts. They didn't really hide it? 
that well. No, but... they, they didn't hide it, and they didn't feel the need to hide it. Like, in one Which episode, like. they have his lover, and the lover's making, like, kind of bitchy comments to the mother about, like, you'll yeah. never understand him, really. It's like, okay, well, fine. <laughs> um... Is he Arnold's supposed to be co- Richard Simmons? Is that the I idea? Don't believe so. I don't believe so. He thinks everyone is special, though. Yeah, and has them jazzercising at the beginning of class in a weird way. That's right. That always that always <laughs> struck me a Just little Just decked strange. out in sequins. Um, <laughs> spandex. There's the uh, theory uh, that Arnold's cousin Arnie doesn't really exist. Yes, it's just like a dream for him to um, act out his subconsciouses. But the uh, conspiracy theory that I think you hate is the one where... His grandparents are actually his parents. Um, they had him even though they were pretty old, and he had a, a misshapen head because of something called Arnold Chiari syndrome. Yeah, I dislike this one. And so he hallucinates a town where everyone's head is misshapen. Um, I have to. Okay. I also dislike it. Yeah, I don't. I don't really it, care for it. I felt the need to mention it. By the way, um, could you do me a favor and just go ahead and look up Mr. Simmons? as an adult, and Doug as a child. Ooh. Because they wear the exact same outfit. <laughs> like, like, the exact same outfit. I mean, it looks like he grew into his nose a bit. Oh my god. Yeah. Brown they... pants, green sweater over a white shirt. They even act pretty similar. They, they, they are very similar. I wonder if there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a theory somewhere around this. Yeah, there's so much internet stuff about these characters in, like, different ages. Oh, totally. More than, like, anything. Isn't there a trailer for, like, a Hey Arnold uh, fake movie? There is. Let's get into that in a second. I wanted to address this conspiracy theory about uh, the grandparents being the parents and why I dislike it. Uh, I dislike it because it just sort of wrecks the entire theme that I've been working with, the whole 50s versus 60s dichotomy, in that yeah. it makes the it makes Arnold a deluded young man, and it, it just kind of doesn't add anything to the story. It's 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 weird and psychologic psychologically tormenting, which I'm normally into, but it really doesn't mesh with the very optimistic outlook of the rest of it, of the rest of the show. Also, it's just kind of weird and unnecessary. Yeah, it fails at Occam's razor as well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's kind of funny that the the syndrome is named uh, in the same way that Arnold is, but that's not... That's... that's, Threads are too thin, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So I I just like that. I also really like the idea that he's an orphan in this, in that it, it makes the theme of, you know, his family life isn't normal, but it is more constructive. And that totally breaks down if you have his his parents straight up being villains to him. Sure. Um, but anyway, also I just like the grandparents. It it's a better vibe. It is a better vibe. Um, they they're a very nice husband and wife team. Sure. <laughs> Although I I would argue that they maybe not even ever got married. It's they seem like the kind of couple <laughs> who possible. might have done that. Like just like we don't need labels. And then they both hop, <laughs> hop on Steely Phil's chopper and, and ride into the sunset to fight tigers or something. Man, I want to watch that Can show. Can just, like, watch a show about, about like, Adventures of Steely Phil and Gertie? Yes. That sounds really good. <laughs> I kind of well, want to meet who he grew up with. Yeah, I want to see them as younger, because that's another conspiracy theory, is that she has progressive dementia. <laughs> well, that's... It, like, come on, man. Like, pick your battles. 
throw too these easy. Into, throw these into Doug. Like this show is already dark enough to not warrant throwing more darkness onto it without mm. fucking everything up. Yeah. Choose a show that's like happy through and through, like Rugrats. Fine, mm-hmm. throw some darkness in there. This show is 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 sort of already complete in in its in its tone. Um, we should talk yeah. about the the last couple of things, which is little extra bits. Yeah, are there any special moments that you wanted to mention? Uh, I think I already like talked... things that stuck with you. There's a ton of stuff that that stuck with me. Um, like when Harold gets hit by the baseball and says "night night, mommy." Uh, there's <laughs> Stinky growing the, the pumpkin and playing cards in it later on and it's really there's ridiculous. there's arnold uh afraid he's gonna get beat up so oh, he man. sings about going crazy and hits himself a bunch yeah that, that's that's a weird moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was very out of character for him and the show i don't think it is i think it's externalizing this sort of ideal that he has this apotheosis toward uh in that, that episode which is it's okay to be different and in fact you can sort of use it as a shield yeah that's but, a good message yeah, um, I, li- I like it a lot. <laughs> there's there's that one where he cuts a man's clothes off using karate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also um, kicks his grandfather in the balls as well. Hilarious. Yep. <laughs> Real Three Stooges. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there, there are there's... a lot of moments. I think my favorite is The Pigeon Man, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's my favorite episode. The ending of that is so satisfying. You don't like the robot that can make egg cream sodas? I really don't. I don't. Mr. Egg Cream. Mr. Egg Cream. I really don't remember that. (laughs) Or how about when Mr. Wynn became a country singer? Which, if you're looking for something to play over our outro, that's a good one. Doesn't he have, like, a country singer voice when he does that, too? Yeah, completely different voice actor for that part. They have, like, a weird parallel to that in King of the Hill, where uh, Khan... The Khan Supanusen phone, the, uh, you know, the the next-door neighbor from, uh, from Korea... He uh, he's finding sort of a, a dearth in his life because he's getting talked down to by his his uh, father-in-law. So he goes to a karaoke bar and very poorly sings. There's there's got to be a morning after, but <laughs> but but because he's so like confident about it, the entire crowd loves him for it. That's great. And it sort of becomes like what he does at night rather than going and drinking with the boys. He goes to karaoke and sings that one song really poorly. I like that a lot. You should watch that episode. It's a really good one. Oh, also, if you're looking for something to put at the ending, uh, the slippage, slippage rap song. Slippage. <laughs> they made a rap song and put it over their their end credits. I, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have something for the endings, dude. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't know what I'm gonna have for the ending, but it it'll be there. Maybe the crazy song. The only other moment I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. and I, I know I have a lot of these, but some of these are very odd. Looking back, is the one where they take a train and go to hell. Yeah, Wee's and Ed, right? It's just baffling. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the things they do in this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have like these Treehouse of Horror type episodes sometimes. I don't think they 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 really don't because those those still follow canon. Yeah, I mean it always ends up being a misunderstanding at the end, but then they also have like the ambiguous or were they? That's true. That's true. Like when Pharaoh Lad walks off into the distance as a ghost. Yeah. Blech. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, of course I did, man. You wouldn't shut up about it. Uh, <laughs> also, I really like Karate Kid. <laughs> I think Invisible I... Kid's my favorite though. If I die before you, uh, part you of will. my will is that you have to read through all of my Legion comics. Fucking. <laughs> but they're so 
dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but if you read through all of them, you'll love it. I doubt that so much. There's this one kid that I'm uh, I'm I'm partial friends with, sort of in a. In, I sort of like him. Like I, I sort of like being around him sometimes, but I find his personality and sort of ethics repellent. And he absolutely loves the Flash, and will look like he's visibly hurt when I say that I dislike the Flash. Not that Flash is a bad character; it's that I dislike him personally. And Are he, you sure he wasn't saying that he liked Flashers? Oh, I, it was such so <laughs> obvious. It was a pickup line. How could I have missed out on that? That would be so interesting to have like a Flasher episode on this. I wonder how they would do that. Huh? They could maybe they off. did, and we didn't notice it because it was a metaphor. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that sounds that sounds correct. Maybe like Mister Win. You could pretty put, much put any weird aspect onto Mister Win, and it'll stick. <laughs> I actually really like Mister Win. Yeah, like his uh, his the cadence of his speech is, is kind of charming to me. Yeah, the 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 uh, tenants of the boarding house that Arnold lives in are all like. They're all just as crazy. <laughs> they're they're like the reformed monkey men and pigeon men of the world. Like, <laughs> like they they were pulled back into normal society, but just barely. Yeah, this this is another breeding ground for crazy adults. You could see Mister Dink living living next door, very easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few other details I wanted to mention. Sure thing. Actually, it's really just one. But I think this is really interesting in how it reflects on the audience of Hey Arnold. Okay. Um, a cursory search of Hey Arnold across the internets reveals a surprising amount of fan fiction for Helga X Arnold. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a novel revelation, but fan fiction tends to be written by, you know, spurned romantics or otherwise unfulfilled romantics. And it's not... It's 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 not unreasonable that the fanfics would be written from, you know, these Helga supporters' point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I thought that was just kind of interesting that there's a way more love for Helga X Arnold than maybe Helga X Lila. You mean Arnold X Lila? No. Yeah, I guess I did. I wish I didn't though. That would um, that would have been an interesting twist. Yeah, I think. I think people's opinion of Helga has improved a lot over the years. I think it was always pretty strong. I think everyone really always liked her because she was such a she's such she's such a victim that you want to see have a win. You want her to you know she needs that win. Maybe I never really liked her, and uh, I do I do now, but I, not not at the time. She, she's sort of the Cindy Vortex here, I think. Oh yeah, <laughs> except that she's just still wrong. She's not the only right one. She's just the wrong victim that needs to be converted kind of now the whole helga x arnold thing could have been obvious what i didn't expect that was that there was a lot of internet hatred toward lila yeah what was that about i think it was all the pushback from you know the fact that lila is stealing helga away from arnold (laughs) once again do you have that backwards probably double negatives man arnold away from helga yeah um and, you know, you see Lila's tendency. She tends to be a bit manipulative, sort of leading Arnold on. And it's mm-hmm. so it's totally the thing, the sort of things that fanficers would be butthurt about, you know? Yeah, I I have trouble being mad at Lila just because of her introductory episode where her home life is just so sad. I forget what her home life was like. Her, like, the first 
thing we see of her at home is her with her dad, and he's like, this meat substitute tastes almost like the real Oh my thing. god, I forgot. It's so, like, so rough. We can't eat tonight. I ate the last can of beans. Uh, Isn't that sad? Uh, it's so rough. Uh, now I feel bad. I gotta go listen to that ending Arnold's parents music. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guess I agree. Uh, I, I don't dislike Lila. I just thought it was interesting and sort of reflected on the audience here that there was so much hatred for her. I forget if it's just Lila or if a lot of characters do this where you always hear the end of jokes and it's always the construction, whatever you do, don't blank that blank. What? Is that, does that happen a lot? I don't know, even know what you're saying. Like, you'll you'll start in on a scene and you'll... Didn't expect like, to be playing Mad Libs halfway through the <laughs> hey Arnold episode. Like you... <laughs> if if it cuts to a scene and you're in the middle of the scene, somebody might be saying... And then the doctor said, whatever you do, don't feed that horse. And then everybody laughs like it's a funny joke. Okay. Did you not see that? What, it happened all the time. What does this have to do with Lila? <laughs> uh, she was the one that I noticed doing it the most. Oh, okay. Like when we're trying to make someone look popular and uh, yeah. sociable. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, I didn't really notice that. I didn't think that Lila needed that much personalization to show us that. She, like it, It's pretty much written on her face. Mm-hmm. But uh, you might be right. Anything else? That's that's pretty much all I have. I really like this show. It seems very complete to me. Um, there, you know, are a, a, a few weaknesses, but they're they're all pretty minor. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, Bartlett was very spot on in his vision. Like, and I don't know if the whole fifties versus sixties thing is accurate, but there's definitely a lot of parallels there that you could easily just attribute to, uh, like. Like you said, like Vietnam vet versus, uh, you know, peace and love from the 70s or whatever. Yeah. And it, the whole show is very engaging. And even like even without the nostalgia factor, I think it would still be a hit today if it came out. I'm probably going to go back and watch more of them. Uh, yeah. Like there's some episodes that focus on some characters that I really want to really want to pick apart a little bit more to try to get this unifying theory up to up to up to task up to osha standards but yeah it's it's a great show like uh this one stood up just as well as i thought it would and there was even a little bit of uh resonance to generational divide in there that i didn't expect so Mm -hmm. good stuff uh again it's it's sort of our regular formula so uh we're gonna probably be veering away towards slam dunk 90s BuzzFeed list sort of shows. Zane, what do we have next? Next, we have a slam dunk BuzzFeed 80s show, uh, <laughs> Inspector Gadget. Yep, but that's okay. Which uh, um, you know, I think, I think the episodes there flow together a bit more regularly. Like you're going to see the same thing again and again. With Hey Arnold, I had to watch through quite a few episodes to get a good broad view. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inspector Gadget, I think, is. I think it's more one note, but I think it's going to be a good note. Yeah, I, I... Plus, I love the concept of a man who keeps, like, a bunch of robot parts in his head. You you recently played a a, a, ro- a droid that was basically a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Which, which was a lot Somewhat like related. That. Yeah. Yeah. Same <laughs> idea. Um, And what's, uh, what's going on after that? Uh, after that, I want to try to... Uh, do something that I'm not really familiar with. Uh, I think you're gonna love it. 
but I, I don't know if it's actually any good. And if it's not, I'll, I'll, I'll take a quick, like, look at it before next week. And I might end up changing this, but I thought that you deserved a win as well, just like Helga. So I reward you with Back to the Future TV Ooh. series. <laughs> Back, they had a TV series? Exactly. Exactly my thoughts. When did it come out? Was it like right on the heels? Or? It was 90, 91. Huh. 91, 92. Had two seasons. Well, yeah. And uh, apparently it's got live segments as well, so that should be interesting. What? <laughs> yeah. Man, um, I don't know how to feel about this, but uh, okay, I, I'm in. I feel like uh, this has the potential to fuck up your memories pretty good, so uh, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, I'll see you then. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, un- until next time, work to make the world better than the adults have left it to you. <laughs> and most importantly, never eat raspberries. One, two, three. Uh, watch me. Hey. Watch me. Now you think you got to bring me down Now you think you got to push me all around For the white Don't hit me I'll hit me Good friend Hey All right Got to, got to Come on Got to feel it Huh In your body Baby Friend I got a date I got to, got to, got to break a blazer.